Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which is what we're going to be um, studying in today. So I'll give you just a second to get there. Um, I'm going to be reading the ESV version today. Um, and it says, let's see. Blessed be the Father. Oh, I apologize. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Welcome to church. Good morning, Grace Life, and some friends that I have not met yet. Um, we extend the welcome of God to you today. I'm grateful that you're here. I've been praying all week. I've been so excited to preach this message. Today we're taking a break from Romans because I finished chapter two, and I promised you that every time I finish a chapter in Romans, I'm going to give you a breather. We're going to go to a different book, and so I'm doing that today. And in fact, as I prayed and studied, even this morning, I said, you know what? This is Communion Sunday. There's no way I'm going to be able to cover all the points that I want to today, so we're just going to do a two-week break from Romans but it's ironic because we're going to be dipping in Romans a little bit because a topic, you know what a topical message, message is? It's you, t- you take a topic and you go and you ask the Bible, what does God say about this? How can I be shaped and formed by this? And so that's what I'm going to be doing this morning. We're, we're, going, we're going to God's Word. We're going to launch through in the passage that, uh, that Megan just read, but we're not going to spend all of our time there. Um, but I'm excited to be here and just echo everything that she said. I pray this week, Lord, will you bring the people that most need to be encouraged through what we're going to share and talk about this morning. So I trust God hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. Here you are. Here I am. Thank you for coming. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are powerful and you are beautiful, and we want to see your power and experience it today. We want to see your beauty and be touched by it today. We want to leave here changed. We want to leave here transformed people. We're not here for a lecture. We're not here for more information, Lord. We're here for new affections, and we need your Holy Spirit to come and to do the work that only he can do and the work that he has promised to do and a work that he delights to do. So come, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see marvelous things in your word. We know that they are there, but without your help, we'll never see them. We'll remain blind to them, Lord, and unchanged by them. 
This is just going to be ink on paper, Lord, and, and, and empty words from me unless your spirit comes and empowers us. Unless the Lord keeps watch over the city, those who, who guard it, uh, stay awake in vain. So, Lord, spirit, come today. Help us to see and experience and be changed by your truth. Convict us of sin. Challenge us, Lord, of ways and patterns we've been thinking that are wrong and that are damaging, and that we can't even see ways that it's breaking us, Lord, and hurting those around us. And we're not thriving and flourishing the way that you intended for us to, to fl- flourish and thrive when we're abiding in you. Help us to do all these things. We can't do them, Lord, on our own. We need your help. So come and help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so spiritual renewal is the topic I want to talk about today. And I want to make sure that we're all using the same dictionaries because something came into your mind when I said spiritual renewal, and it may not be the same thing that's in my mind. So I want to sync us together today, okay? This is what I mean when I say spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal happens when you and I are living day by day as if all the promises of God are true in Christ. Spiritual renewal happens and rehappens when you and I, let me say that again, it's really important. Spiritual renewal happens when we start living each day as if all of God's promises are true in Christ. Did you hear the very beginning of that passage that we read together in Ephesians? It said, uh, excuse me, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, what are those two words? In Christ. Are those important? Those are critical. Those are two of the most critical words in Paul's theology in the New Testament. And he wrote 13 of the epistles in the New Testament. Says that. That's his favorite words. In Christ. God has blessed us in Christ with how many spiritual blessings? Every single one of them. All of them. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why do we have all those spiritual blessings? Who, who accomplished that? Who secured that? Who ushered in that new reality? Who did it? Christ did. So it's in Christ that we have all these blessings, or you could say promises. That's what spiritual renewal is. That's how it happens. When you and I live each day with a functional belief in that, a functional belief that matters, that changes things, that fortifies us to serve God, that empowers us to obey when, when our hearts are tempted that gives us spiritual authority when we encounter conflict. That helps us brace to, to face suffering and tragedy and heartache and rejection. Spiritual renewal happens when we're, we're hanging on those promises because it's really all we have. When the dust settles, that's all we have. Every other meaning that we create for ourselves can be destroyed by suffering and the harsh realities of living in a fallen world. All the empty, shallow, misleading, and dangerous counterfeit promises out there Those can be destroyed. In fact, they will be destroyed. But all of God's promises in Christ are yes, 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 and amen. All of them are. And when you and I live every day like that, living on and banking on those promises, that's when spiritual renewal happens. And that's critical. That's so critical. I told you I'm not preaching on that passage, but if you listen carefully when Megan read that, front-loaded in that is in Christ, every spiritual blessing. And then let me just quote a few of those, just from that passage, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Well, what blessings are you talking about? That sounds just kind of, you know, pie in the sky, by and by. Well, we're holy and blameless before him. Do you feel holy and blameless today? 
Do you feel holy and blameless? Do you feel holy and blameless? I don't feel that way, but I am. I am holy and blameless. Says who? Says Jesus. He said it. He promised it. I'm believing it. Do you know what a functional belief in that promise will do to you? You don't need the self-esteem or whatever word the world's going to use. I've got esteem, man, they don't even know about. I'm holy and blameless and accepted by God. The guy on the middle cross said so, (laughs) right? I heard Alistair Begg this week. It was something floating around on social media. And he was talking about so often when we're asked, you know, that question, if you're standing before the gates and God says, why should I let you into heaven? He said, so often I've noticed Christians use the third person. I did this. I did that. We, I, me, my. (laughs) And he said, you know, that really indicates a, a dangerous sinking sand that we're standing on. You mean I did something that caused me to be able to enter heaven? He said, no, my friends. We need to get back to, uh, we need to, get back to, the, to the right third person. He, he, I, I messed that up, didn't I? It's first person we, we were using. I, me, myself, and I, okay. All you grammar nerds out there, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> third person is what we need. He, and he was talking about the middle person. Uh, he was talking about if the thief on the cross went, went to stand before heaven, and they're like, Who's this guy think he is? Who, who said you could come in here? You haven't lived a holy life. You just got executed, bro. You just got crucified by the Romans for, for treachery and betrayal. You're a criminal. You're not even Roman. That's why they crucified you. And he says, oh, oh, the man in the, on the middle cross said I could come. I like that. The man on the middle cross said I can come. I didn't do anything. I'm not here because of anything I've done. He did it. He did everything. In Christ, every spiritual blessing. So what are they? Holy and blameless before him were adopted as sons. Man, that meant so much more probably to that culture than it does to us today for lots of reasons I can't get into today, but that's another sermon for another day. Adoption. By law, if you were adopted in that century, you were, you were so secure legally. You couldn't, you couldn't adopt somebody and then give them back to the system back then. Couldn't happen. It was a done deal, signed in blood. We're accepted in the beloved. How many people today feel rejected? Some people feel rejected by God. We're going we're gonna to deal with that. But just rejected by people. I'm not in the circle. I'm not in the club. I'm not welcome. I'm an outsider. I've been marginalized. I've been pushed to the side. You know how many people live? They, that's, the, that's the narrative of their entire life. That's their script every day. I'm not wanted. I'm not welcome. I'm not loved. I've been betrayed. I've been rejected. I've been dumped. I have no likes, I have no followers, I have no subscribers, <laughs> whatever it is, man, whatever your social media fix is, people live with just functional rejection. Even horizontal, it hurts, especially if you feel it vertical. That's crushing. Nobody can live up to that reality. But he says we're accepted in the beloved. God welcomes and accepts us because of Jesus Christ. One sermon is not enough to even unpack all that. I'm going to try to do it today. We have the forgiveness of sins, he says. We have an inheritance. Anybody in here poor? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. We all know that everybody is, okay? (laughs) I mean, I know we're Americans and we're comparatively, we're we're wealthy. But man, I just don't feel wealthy sometimes. Do you? I just feel like I'm living on crumbs, even though I'm not. We have an inheritance. Undefiled, unpolluted, reserved in heaven for us. Where moths don't 
what's the word? The moths don't do something, and thieves don't break into steel, moths don't corrode it. Anyway, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed. Marcel, I'll see you back there. Do you remember whenever tile, Marcel used to do tile work, and I did too, and uh, when I did it back in Arkansas, you would lay the tile, you'd put your thin set mortar down, you would lay the tile, and then you would grout it, and you would spend all day with a sponge, and your hands felt like sandpaper, and you, and you were done. You cleaned up, you buffed it and polished it, thank you, you got paid, you were done. But then when I got out of the business, they started, maybe it was in existence back then, I was just in Arkansas, I hadn't, hadn't made it that far. They started something called sealing your grout joints. You remember that, buddy? Oh, man. I love that because you could charge more, but I hated doing it. <laughs> Anybody got tile with dirty grout joints? You probably need to go talk to somebody about sealing those things because dirt and grime just like grind themselves in that. Maybe that's a bad word picture, but we're, you realize we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're, in some ways, we're like untouchable, man. <laughs> we're sealed. We're His forever. That's why I believe in eternal security. One of the billions of reasons I believe in that. God has got me in his hand. Nobody is more powerful than him. I can't be snatched out. Nobody can change the relationship I have with God, my Father, because Jesus accomplished it. He secured it, and the Holy Spirit sealed it. It's a done deal. It's stamped. It's approved. It's legit. It's authentic. (laughs) That's just to name a few. Now, are you feasting on just those? Just those, they seem like small, itty-bitty, teeny-weeny promises they're not, but are you feasting on those, or are you going out and eating the moldy bread that the world offers? Because that's a terrible diet. That's processed. (laughs) It's toxic. It won't help you when the realities of a fallen world confront you, and they will every single day. In other words, do we have a functional belief in what Jesus accomplished for us? Are we believing His promises? Are we letting... The promises of God shape us and form us and galvanize us and fortify us? Or are we trusting in something else? There's a word for that, and it's faith. You've got a promise over here, and and here you are. How do you connect to that promise? You believe it. You believe it, right? That's called faith. Oxford Theological Dictionary has a great definition for faith. Here's what it is it says, faith is a conviction practically operative on the character and the will. Faith. It's, faith is a conviction, and it's practically operative on your character and will. That means faith is powerful, and it changes you. It does something to you. It, it, it ushers in a new reality. And that's what I'm getting at here. That new reality is spiritual renewal. That's what we're talking about. Let me illustrate that, okay? I really want this. There's a long introduction today, just warning you. Introduction is long, sermon short, kind of. You got communion. <laughs> um, I read a story about a pastor. He was in his first year of ministry, and there was a, a well-known family in the church, and they said, hey, our teenage daughter's depressed, man. She needs help. She's 16. Will you meet with her? He said, sure. So brought her in. She was disappointed. She was distressed, depressed. He started talking to her about the gospel, the love of God, forgiveness of sins, redemption, and she stopped him. She wasn't rude. She said, look, I've been in church all my life. I know all that. I'm a Christian. I believe. She said, I know God loves me. I know he sent Jesus. I know Jesus died for me. And I know he's going to take me to heaven when I die. And then she said this. She said, but what good is all of that when no boy in the entire school will even look at me? Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. 
because something was shaping that young girl's life. There was something that was real to her. That was her functional belief, and it was this. Unless I have the attention of a boy, and I'm not, look, I'm not calling that, that's so disgusting, what a shallow little teenage girl. That's every, mostly every teenage girl, right? Here's what I'm saying, though, and every teenage boy, too, okay? That was all of us. What I'm saying was, that was more real to her, that was more real to her, that was practically operative on her character and will, that was functionally shaping her, that was more real to her than God's love to her in Christ and God's welcome to her in Christ. Does that make sense? That was more real to her. That was her daily bread, and she, and she was starving. She was starving. And when people are starving for that, they'll do crazy things, crazy things, dangerous things. She knew those promises, but something was more real to her. Promises can change your life if you trust them. Promises can change your life if you trust them. So let me ask you a question. What's the most real thing to you? What do you think about at the stoplight when you're not texting? You shouldn't be texting, by the way. (laughs) What are you thinking of? When you don't have to think about anything, what does your mind drift towards? You know what? Here's something funny and stupid. I'm only, I'm only, I'm only 46. I'm just a young lad. But I don't, I don't know why, but I've been thinking recently about Social Security. I don't, I don't know why. I was even talking to this, a couple of you about it. It's like, you know, one of these days, if I ever do retire, and I don't want to, I mean, you know, I'm happy. I think I'm healthy. I love, I love what I do. I love you. I love this church. But one of these days, man, am I going to have to rely on Social Security? And I got to thinking, how much is there? Because, you know, I started out working on a farm, and there's no Social Security there. But eventually, I got a job at Sonic and then Walmart, and then I was self-employed, and I don't know if I pay any. <laughs> and then you, go, you fast forward, now I'm in a church, and I'm thinking, man, how much? And seriously, I would roll up at a stoplight and start thinking, man, am I going to be able? I got six kids. They ain't going to take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that started shaping me, and eventually I had to say, you know what, man? There's so many promises in the Bible and it doesn't say be lazy or don't lay up, you know, like Joseph, don't think about the future. But it's like God's going to take care of me. God is going to take care of me. I've never seen the righteous begging for bread, David said. So many things can shape us and be more real to us. Promises are, are powerful if you believe them. Jack Miller reached a crisis in his ministry years ago. He left his denomination. He resigned from his church And he was about to kick his faith to the curb. He was just distressed. And his wife said, you need to take a long vacation. He went to Spain for three and a half years, Jack Miller did, with his wife. And for three and a half years, he studied the promises in the Bible, only the promises. That was it. Everything else, he would read it, but he deeply studied the promises. And he came back after three and a half years, and it totally transformed him, his marriage, his ministry, his life, his children. And then he wrote one of the best commentaries on Galatians I've ever read in my life. And he wrote a a series called Sonship, what full sonship means. And he had a phrase. He said, why do we live like orphans when we're adopted by God? We're sons. We don't have to live like orphans. We're sons. Promises are powerful. So which promises are we talking about? Which ones are the most powerful? Okay, here they are. And this is what we're going to talk about today, okay? Here we go. Can you see those? You can't see those promises, can you? 
They're there, I promise you. I don't know why. Diane, can you pull up the, the screen with the four promises? There we go. Thank you. So, so relax for a minute, okay? We're not going to go through all these today because I, I want to give... I want to give the first one a really good treatment. We're going, to, we're going to talk about the first one today. And then next week, I'm going to hit the other three, and then we'll, we'll be back in Romans, okay? But here they are. And, and you can just call these crucial or critical affirmations. Crucial affirmations for spiritual renewal. I am accepted. I am free. I am not alone, and I have authority. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit. Just unpack the outline, and then we'll jump in the first one here. I am accepted by God. That's justification. Because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on my behalf, God welcomes me in his presence. I'm his child. I have his, you know, they had a weird name for this, alien. I have the alien, that means outside of me, foreign, strange. I have his alien righteousness, that means his perfect life, what God requires of all of us, perfection that we don't have. I have his perfect life given to me as a gift. Because of that, God looks at me as if I have lived the life of Jesus Christ. God looks at us as if we've got a a bronze medal of honor attached to our chest. When in fact, we've done nothing. Jesus did it all. So I'm accepted by God. That's a promise. That's an affirmation. You ought to wake up every single day of your life as a believer and remind yourself of that. Because you're going to forget it at some point during the day. You're going to forget your vertical acceptance, and you're going to start shopping for it horizontally. And that's when you get into trouble and say things like, what good is that when no boy in the whole school knows my name? He knows your name, though. He knows your name. He looks at you. You're the apple of his eye. The Bible says that God rejoices over us with loud exultation and sings over us. Have you ever had anybody serenade you? you know, I got to say, I'm 46. Nobody's ever done that. I've asked my wife to do it. She won't do it. <laughs> Anybody ever sang over you and just express their love and delight? God does that, Zachariah says. That's a, that blows me away to think of that. I don't know what that does of your view of God, but when you're secure in Christ, that's what God thinks of you. He delights in you. Anyway, I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. I'm free. Here's what I mean by that second one. I am free from the bondage of sin. I no longer am a slave to sin. We sing, song, we sing that song here at some point. I'm no longer a slave. I won't sing the whole thing. I want to, but I won't. The power of sin because of Christ has been broken over me. It's broken. I don't have to obey it. Sometimes I do when I'm forgetting and not functionally believing that promise, but I am free. I'm free not only to not sin, but I'm free to obey God now for the right motives. We'll talk about that next week. I'm not alone because I have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who's been given to me as a gift. Jesus Christ said, if I go away, it's better for you. (laughs) You know, Jesus said, Jesus said, hey, guys, I'm about to leave. And they were like, no, no, no. And he said, but hang on a minute. If I go away, it's to your advantage. My physical absence will be for your greater spiritual advantage because I'm sending a helper. Oh, where do you meet this helper? Where do you meet this counselor? He's going to empower you for witness. He's going to prepare people's hearts to receive this message I'm entrusting to you. He's your counselor. He's your teacher. He will convict you. And all the host of other things we'll talk about next week. So you're not alone. You've got a resident teacher dwelling within you. 
You're a temple on wheels, baby. <laughs> you got the presence of God within you. That's amazing. We read the tabernacle and we're dazzled. The Shekinah, Holy of Holies right there. You know, we had the Holy of Holies right here. It's hard to fathom because we feel so full of sin and unbelief, but God's dwelling within us. His Holy Spirit is in us because we've been made clean, and He can dwell there, and He wants to. I'm not, you're not alone. How often do we feel like I'm on my own here, man? I've been stranded. I've been left hanging. I've been left hanging out to dry all by myself. I got to figure this out. I got to work this up, and God says, you're not alone. I'm with you always. And the last one is I have authority. And what I mean by that is I have spiritual authority in conflict with evil forces because we believe what the Bible says and we believe in demons. We believe there is a devil, diabolos in Greek. There's an accuser. There's a slanderer. There's an opposer who hates God. He hates God's mission in the world. He hates God's people. And with all of his strength and all of his methodologies and all of his stratagems, he is seeking to oppose God, and that means opposing you. And so often we feel vulnerable, and we feel weak, and we feel helpless, and we feel attacked. I know I do. Do you feel attacked when you're trying to serve God and seek God and, and obey God? Do you ever feel attacked and you know, this is one of those evil days that the Bible talks about. I feel something extra <laughs> added to the burdens of the, uh, the world and the flesh. I feel a devil here at work, something sinister and dark. And I got to tell you, man, sometimes it's outright creepy. One of these days, I will tell you about this adventure of church planning, some of the crazy, creepy things that have happened in our house. And I'm telling you, this promise helped me tremendously. All four of these, really. <laughs> but the fourth one, like, you know what? I have, a, I have authority here. I'm not left weak, helpless at the mercy of the devil. I was reading in Jude last night where Michael the archangel, the most powerful angel, was fighting with the devil over the body of Moses. That's a really crazy story. Can you imagine why the devil would want the body of Moses? Why would you want the body of Moses? He went up on a mountain, if you read Deuteronomy 33 and 34, and he died. And I guess the Lord buried him there. And nobody knew where his remains were except the devil. He knew. And he went and was fighting over the body. And Michael the archangel Said It says this, it said, he dare not level a, a riling accusation against the devil, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. I love that. And I've said that quite a few times in my Christian life. I don't know if this is who I, I think it is, but the Lord rebuke you out. You're not welcome here. This is God's house. This is God's people. And I'll pray and we'll sing. I even put a cross in my room once. I'm not superstitious. I don't burn sage and swing incense and do crazy things like some people do. I know God's given me spiritual authority because of Christ. Colossians says that on that cross, he, he triumphed over evil forces. He put them to an open spectacle of shame. Satan has been defeated. See, all of these, all of these find their point of power and entry into our life through Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. So I know I just kind of preached a sermon on all that. I'm going to elaborate more. So that's our outline. Those are the four promises that I, that I, really, want us to, uh, I really want us to bank on. And, and I got to give credit where credit's due. I'm rereading this book. Richard Lovelace wrote this book in 1979. 
In chapter 4, it's the personal dynamics of spiritual renewal. That's kind of his outline for that chapter. Um, this, is, this is what he said in that book, Richard Lovelace. He said, it is my assumption. This is such a good quote, guys. I think that's the next slide, too. You know what? I think I have that one. Can we? Thank you. He said, it is my assumption that growth in faith is the root of all spiritual growth and is prior to all disciplines of works. True spirituality is not a superhuman religiosity. It is simply true humanity released from bondage to sin and renewed by the Holy Spirit. This is given to us as we grasp, by faith, the full content of Christ's redemptive work, freedom from the guilt and power of sin and newness of life through the outpouring of His Spirit, through His indwelling, through the indwelling and the outpouring of His Spirit. What he's saying is what we've been saying all morning, that all these promises come to us through the cross. So understanding the full blessing of the gospel, all the things that Jesus Christ accomplished at his death, that's what's going to help us more than anything else. And you know the Bible says in, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verse 20, the Bible says that all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All his promises. That means your questions about the important things in life, like, like this. Can my past be forgiven? What's the answer? Yes. Says who? Jesus. Can my future be secured? Yes. Says who? Says Jesus. <laughs> Can I have power in the present to combat these besetting sins? Yes. He said so. Guy on the middle cross. Do I have any protection over the, over the evil and dark forces supernaturally? Yes. Yes. All those answers are yes because of something Jesus did. His death and resurrection ushered in a new reality for all of us. And now sinners and sufferers can have hope. We can have hope. His, pro- His promises color all of life. And I, I want to take just a couple of minutes here to illustrate this. That's a beautiful painting, and it's called Farewell to Anger. And I picked that because that has so many different spectrums of the color palette on there. Do you see all those colors? It's beautiful. It's amazing. Did you know that all of those colors came from three? Let me put my teacher hat on for a minute. Do you guys know how many primary colors there are in the world? There's just three. That's it. Blue, red, and yellow. Every single shade and spectrum and palette of color come from those three things. So I want you to think of God's promises There's a gazillion of them, but there's really four core promises like these primary colors. And if you take any of those primary promises or primary colors away, uh, like, say, blue, what what would us taking blue away from farewell to anger produce? That was the name of that painting, by the way. Don't you like that? Farewell to anger. Well, it it would produce this, farewell to beauty. (laughs) Check that out now. Look Look at the difference. There's with all three primary colors. That's a Christian life who is spiritually renewed and he is living on a functional belief in all of God's promises. Here's the Christian life when you take away those promises and you're functionally not believing them, which Richard Lovelace says are most Christians. There's some promises they're not actualizing or processing. See what that does? 
I had my, my daughter, you can thank my daughter for this one. She sat on the couch and took forever to do that on her little digital thing. I said, take out every hue and shade of blue. And she said, Daddy, that's half the painting. I said, go do it. Go do it. <laughs> so there, do you see the holes there, the emptiness? Let me, now let me ask you a question. What's missing from your life? What holes are in your life that are because you are functionally not believing some of these promises of God? Because I guarantee you we all have, we all look like we've been shot with a 12-gauge, right? Which is, you know, I'm sorry, that's a really violent illustration. What I meant was <laughs> shotguns are not like rifles. You know shotguns have little bitty BBs in there and they like, phew, there's lots of holes if you shoot a target with a shot. Anyway, my bad. Bad illustration. Um, Every single week, do you know what I do here at Grace Life? Do you know what all of our staff aims to do? I'm going to tip my hat to you, okay? This is, this is the secret of Grace Life. Are you ready? Every single week, I come into this pulpit, and I'm trying to reconnect you to some of the promises that flow out of the gospel. There's a gazillion of them, but I always try to trace them back to those four. Every single week. And that's why I'm not, getting, I'm not scolding you. you. You're here today. But if you want to know why some pastors, this is certainly why I do, why some pastors get so disheartened when people miss church a lot, it's because I know, I know, it's so hard to compete with the world. We are getting discipled, functionally discipled by the world and now by social media. I don't know how many hours during the week, and I get you for two hours. <laughs> now, I know you're all reading your Bibles and you're praying and listening to good music and watching it, right? All of us are, Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> I get you for two hours every single week, just two hours, man, to remind you of these promises. And sometimes a few weeks ago, by, and I'm like, man, I, now I want you to know I'm not the kind of pastor that keeps a ledger like I'm angry at you, but I'm the kind of pastor that wants to know like, man, I really need to shepherd them. Something's going on. We can't, guys, we cannot survive. We cannot survive. I can't compete with an iPhone, discipling, even my own kids, it's hard. Just showing up once a week just for a few hours. We don't even have our own building. It's just once a week here. That's a, that's a real challenge. All the promises that, do you know how many, let's, get, let's have some fun with this. Do you know how many people that know these things have said that from those three colors, there are 18, I don't even know how to pronounce that, decelian, is that how you say it? That sounds intelligent. There are 18 decelian Colors. That's an 18 with 33 zeros from those three primary colors. I have a friend that, that's a manager at a, oh man, what's the fancy paint place? Sherwin-Williams. And he said that some people have created their own colors to customize the, their living room, and they've had those colors named after them. And other people, you know, have said, man, I like that. What's the name of that? Well, oh, that's Tommy Clayton, 18. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so... All I'm telling you is have fun with God's promises. They're so multifaceted, and there's so many different shades and hues. Like even today, we're, we're on point one, by the way, justification. Excuse me, justification. I am accepted. Do you know how many things that that promise touches in your life? Man, Crayola couldn't make enough crayons for you if you were to color that promise out. They couldn't do it. It's amazing. We... we we restrict God's promises. His promises are counterintuitive to the way human beings think, too. We just don't think that way. I'm accepted. I'm free. I'm not alone. I have authority. 
That's not the script that we tell ourselves. By the way, you know, you know that you have a script, don't you? Every single person in this room, you have a script and a narrative every single day you're telling yourself. And the world's helping you. You hear it. You hear it every day. You've got this. You can do this. And I get it. We nod at that. You hear it. You hear it from the bleachers at sporting events or in the locker room at halftime. I used to hear it at weddings when I was single. God's going to bring you a, a wife into your life when you're patient enough. We all, there's all these promises, man, that people are telling us. And we think, this is great, except it's not great. Except when God doesn't bring a wife into your life. I can promise you, God did not give me a wife because I was patient enough. That was not the reason. I was the most impatient bachelor you would have ever met in your life. God just pitied me and showed me grace, and he gave me a wife. But... <laughs> but everybody and their dog were making all these promises that were disconnected from those three primary ones. What I'm most interested in is what if I'm a bachelor for the rest of my life? Is God big enough to, to help me be okay with that? What happens when you don't hit the home run? What happens when the cancer has metastasized? Then what? What promise? Oh, oh, you don't got this. Oh, you're not awesome. Don't worry, be happy, just doesn't seem to work with stage four, does it? But friends, I'm telling you, those promises, that's why I say, I can't compete with that. You've been hearing all those promises all week, all day, and I get two hours to come in here and tell you it's all bunk. It's all bunk and bankrupt and shallow and misleading and dangerous and false. All of it is. And one of these days, you're going to figure that out, and that's going to be a hard day if you don't have these three primary colors, because you may have blanks all in your life. And say, you know what? I'm accepted by God. I'm not alone. I'm free to obey God. I don't have to obey this temptation. And I have, I have spiritual authority over these evil forces that are assaulting me and attacking me. That's tremendously powerful. <laughs> and Richard Lovelace wrote that most Christians live day by day with a functional disbelief in those things or functional ignorance of them. If they're in a church where the sermon's on the latest clipping from the newspaper. This week, it's free Britney Spears. Oh, that's going to help me. That's going to help me when I get the stage four diagnosis, isn't it? Hey, look, I love America. I think it's the greatest nation in the world, and today's July the 4th. But today, I'm preaching on God's promises, because that's what's going to help you. If one day you lose your freedom in this country, <laughs> a sermon on America won't help you, but a sermon on the promises of God irrespective of what happens to our nation, I can bank on that. That's going to help me. Just throwing that in there so you're wondering, is he not going to say happy July 4th? Happy July 4th. <laughs> yes, that's right. You are today. Nationally, you're free today. But what happens when you're not? Then you go to that promise. Oh, there's a deeper freedom that can secure me and anchor me, right? Oh, man. This is going a lot slower than I thought it would. You guys are not listening fast enough. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, just, let me just list some of the ways that whatever misleading promises you're believing in are going to get trashed, okay? <laughs> let me trash you this morning, okay? Because what I got to do is convince you you need these. So here we go. Uh, I feel guilty, ashamed, and condemned, alienated from God and from people. I feel enslaved and in bondage to sin, addicted to my urges. 
I feel empty and alone, helpless to follow Jesus with confidence. I feel weak and afraid, vulnerable to the forces of evil. See, those assaults and feelings can come from anywhere, from out there or from, from inside. And they can happen when disloyalty or betrayal by a friend or a spouse or a family member, the rebellion of your children, souring of your marriage, addictions, to pills, to gambling, to pornography, to alcohol, to praise, conflict with other believers, temptations that are outside of you or within, injustice that surrounds us in this fallen world, pain and worry and physical sickness, the loss of income, the loss of a job, the hardship of old age or chronic debilitating illness, the death of your dreams. Man, that's when we need his promises. It's, it's hard enough to hold on to his promises. It's impossible if we don't even know what those promises are. So that's why sermons like this, I hope and I pray, are, are, are helpful. So point one, I'm accepted. Going a little bit deeper into that, that's justification. That's Romans 5.11. Let's look at this verse, okay? Therefore, I told you we'd be jumping back into Romans. You just can't hardly stay away from Romans if you're going to make any kind of theological point in the New Testament. That's why we're in the book. I love it. So deep and rich. Therefore, since we have been justified by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, if you understand the, the heights of God's holiness and justice and the depths of human sin and depravity and guilt, that here's God's justice. He demands perfection. And here's the, the depths of our sin. We are his enemies by nature. We're children of wrath by nature. We have violated and broken his commandments. Then you're left hungering and thirsting after, after these promises, Right? God's justice and your sinfulness can't deliver. They can only prepare you and create longing for this. We have been justified by faith. Therefore, we have what? With God, peace. There's finally peace. Before there was enmity, there was conflict, there was violence. And now there's peace. Now suddenly, God welcomes us in. He says, you are family. You are children. You belong here now. You're in the inner circle those are the two words in this passage, peace with God and access. Because how often do we live, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Is there anybody in your circle of, of uh, relationships right now that you feel like there's not peace with? Anybody? You're just kind of off, kind of you're not sure. Does that bother you? <laughs> I, I, I have a really... I get bothered really easily when I, th I think there's an issue that I have with somebody. We're not quite on. We're off a little bit. That bothers me. I lose sleep over that. I wish I could tell you that your pastor is the most healthy and flourishing um, mentally and socially and spiritually and that, you know, our pastor is not insecure, man. He's so grounded in the gospel. That's one of those promises I have to tap in all the time. So I think so-and-so may be mad at me. I think I've disappointed them. I think I've offended them or hurt them. That's not, I lose sleep over that. I got I to gotta get that right. That's why if somebody texts me, hey, can we talk? Oh, man. 
Don't do that. Please, don't do that. Tell me in the text what you need to talk about. <laughs> can we talk? I need to borrow a saw. Okay. <laughs> you can kill your pastor that way, man. You take years off my life. They don't want to get my social security in time. <laughs> We have peace with God, though. That's the promise that gets me. If everybody in the world, you know, Martin Luther said this. He said, if everybody in the whole world hates me and refuses to forgive me for wrongs I've committed against them, God's forgiven me, and that's enough. God's forgiven me. The one whose opinion matters the most, the one whose opinion carries the most weight, he and I are okay. I have access into his presence. Our relation, we're walking in the cool of the garden in the day like Adam and Eve were because of Jesus. He fixed what was broken, imputed righteousness, declared blameless, innocent, cleared. Richard Lovelace again said this, in order for a pure and lasting work of spiritual renewal to take place within the church, multitudes within it must be led to build their lives on this foundation acceptance in Christ alone apart from our performance. See, there's the rub for Christians. You are accepted by God alone apart from your performance. Meaning, did everybody get up today and have an amazing quiet time? (laughs) Did you spend eh, 30 minutes in prayer? Okay, 10. Five? But I want to tell you something. Irrespective of your religious performance today, in the zeal of whatever you were doing for God, you're accepted because it wasn't your zeal and your performance that connected you to God in the first place. It was Jesus's. That's the gospel, guys. That's what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world. That's why it was good news when Luther unburied the gospel from layers of tradition and legalism and complexity. That started a whole Reformation movement. This doctrine did, being uncovered. The just shall live by faith. Richard Lovelace says, Only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Now, that's really technical jargon. So let me read it again. Only a fraction of the present body of Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Here's what he's saying. I'm not trying to insult you. Here's what he was saying. He said it. Only a few of you actually believe this first promise in a way that shapes your life day to day. Only a few of you. Who is it? Which ones? (laughs) I want you to be my friend. You can help me. (laughs) That's alarming because it means that a lot of Christians really converted, really born again, really blood-bought Christians are living radically insecure lives. Underneath this fog of, man, I hope God loves me. I hope I make it. You realize that's every other religion in the world. They're saying those things. We don't have to because of Christ. And when we get this thing settled, man, that opens up all kinds of freedoms to obey and serve. Take radical risks for the kingdom. See, people think that first doctrine, oh, you can't tell people that. Then they'll live however they want to. (laughs) That's just not true, though. That is not true. The Christians that were thrown to the lions singing hymns were the ones that appropriated this solidly. And I think we've lost it. We're losing it. We're losing that doctrine. Let me fast forward a little bit here. 
because I want to give you an illustration, and then we're going to close and take communion, okay? This is a, this is a really, uh, it's a pretty radical illustration, but I came across it this week, so I wanted to share this with you. I don't know if you remember uh, April 20th, 1999, two teenagers that were seniors named Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold walked into Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, and over the course of just a few minutes, they killed 12 students and a teacher, and they wounded 24 others before they took their own lives. And ever since that day, the mother, the mother of one of those boys, Dylan's mom, her name was Sue, she has lived with the indescribable grief and shame of that day. Have you ever thought about, we have mass shootings all the time. Have you ever thought about the families of the mass shooters who weren't monsters and, and were completely taken by surprise at what happened with people that were so close to them and they saw no warning signs that they could remember? Well, think if you're the mom of a senior in high school who did this. I read the first chapter of this book she wrote, A Mother's Reckoning. Oh, my word, man, it just twisted all my intestines up reading. It's moment by moment gripping the phone call she got at work, her husband calling her and saying, I can't find Dylan, and they're saying people in trench coats did this, and I can't find his trench coat. Ever since that day, she's lived with indescribable grief and shame. How could her child, the promising young man she had loved and raised, be responsible for such tragedy? And how, as his mother, had she not known something was wrong? For a long time, Sue was in denial about her son's role in the massacre. She told herself that Dylan had been brainwashed or coerced into the plan. That's what every mom, that's what I would tell myself if one of my kids did that. It was their friend. But then she saw the basement tapes, a set of videos Dylan and Harris had made in which they brandished, they brandished, I'm reading this here, guns, they brandished guns, there we go, and bragged about the destruction they were planning and her understanding of Dylan's role in the rampage changed. And by the way, it's interesting to me reading this, they hated guns in that, in that home. They would not even allow a weapon or a gun of any kind into their home. So that really took them by surprise. In her memoir, A Mother's Reckoning, Sue describes the guilt, despair, shame, and confusion that have plagued her in the years since the Columbine Massacre. This is what she wrote. Check this out. Now, I'm telling you this, remember, I'm telling you this because this doctrine, this promise, I'm accepted by God, it really matters, folks. She says, I felt for a very long time that it must have been something I did, and I went back to ridiculous detail into our past. And I remember at one point sobbing because when Dylan was three, I had only put sprinkles on his birthday cake, but when his when his brother turned three, I had decorated the cake with icing, thinking it must have been something like that, where he didn't feel equally loved. Can you imagine the torment of a parent going back into decades of raising your children and say, what was it that I did? I didn't kiss him enough. I didn't hug him enough. I didn't love him enough. I didn't take him out for dinner. I only put sprinkles on his cake. She says, I know that sounds ridiculous, but that is the kind of work you do in your head when something like this happens. So I examined and I questioned and I blamed, and to this day I still do. That was 22 years later. She said the heartache never goes away. Being in the public eye after a family massacre kills people is not an easy thing to do, she said. The first instinct is to hide because you feel like a failure and a fool, humiliated and embarrassed. 
She said, you know, it's very difficult for me locally because there are still people who hold me personally accountable for a child who did that. She, she said it took her a long time to come to terms with the idea that her son, a perfectly normal, happy kid, was capable of such murderous acts. Her and her family have been sued by 36 families in the community of Columbine. Now, let me ask you a question. She's not a Christian that, that I can see at all in any of her writings. I've never read anything about faith. How do you think she's doing after 22 years, still feeling that? feeling rejected by her son. I mean, add to the fact that her son did that, that her son killed himself. So she lost a son, but in the most horrendous way. Do you think that she feels accepted by anybody? (laughs) She doesn't even accept herself, folks. What would you say to her if she came into your office for counseling? It'll be okay. It'll pass. What hadn't yet? It's been 22 years, but you're probably right. It probably will. Would you just get, get down to the real nitty-gritty and say, let's talk about God's promises? Now, what is it for you that the justifying work of Christ is not being solidly appropriated in your day-to-day life? Where is it that you need to apply the acceptance of God in Christ, that you are accepted in the beloved? Is it a, a kid, a, a child that's rejected you or gone a wayward path? Is it a parent, a sibling? Is it a career? Is it your dreams being shattered? (laughs) What have you been kept out of that's just tearing you to pieces? Or maybe you don't, maybe you just hate yourself. You know, that's the reality for a lot of people. They're like, you know what? I can't even bear to live with myself. I hate myself. I don't even want to be here anymore. I got a promise for you. God cares. God loves you. God accepts you. He delights in you. See, if you disconnect those from the gospel, they're just as meaningless as you throwing somebody a frayed rope who's drowning in the sea. Here you go. And they pull it and the end's frayed and they sink. We have to be careful as Christians. We don't just throw these platitudes out there. We have been extended the welcome of God because of Jesus Christ. We are fully his sons and daughters. We have access. We have peace. He loves us. And that's enough, isn't it? I hope you believe that today. I hope you take that primary color and paint the most beautiful artwork of your life and appropriate that. Let's pray and and prepare our hearts for communion. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love and for your grace and that we have been accepted by you because of Jesus Christ, because the, the one on the middle cross, the one who did not stay in the grave, he walked out glorified and whole and ascended to heaven, and he sat down because it was finished. He sat down at the right hand of God. Lord, thank you for that promise. Thank you for that grace. Thank you for that power. I pray we would appropriate it today. You would give us this visible reminder of of communion today. We can taste it and handle it and touch it and sense it and smell it and be reminded that that the gospel is, is real. You are real. This is not a myth. This is not a fable or a fairy tale or something that happened in a galaxy far, far away. God became a human being. He became vulnerable. He became killable. He came and crawled inside a human body, subjected himself to time and space and suffering and death and murder and rejection and betrayal and treachery so that we would never have to face those things spiritually. What a gift. What a tremendous gift, Lord. May we spend the rest of our life never getting over that, starting right now. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
You know, I forgot to tell you at the beginning of the service that uh, we invite you, if you have children who are believers in the back, our teachers know it's, it's uh, first Sunday, and we invite you to just make your way back there. It'll take us a few minutes to, to get going here. So this is your time. You can quietly excuse yourself and go grab your child and just your child. Don't grab another child. They won't let you anyway. And bring them back in here, and uh, we're going to celebrate communion down here.